there's a really big need for us to rethink the entire curriculum that we've been teaching for 50 plus years. However, what I'm realizing is there's a really high number of folks that are very resistant to the change. What I would recommend for some of the individuals that are working at these institutions, especially the people of color, advocate very strongly for unlearning and redoing a curriculum have honest conversations with the graduates of the class and ask them what are things that they wish were in the curriculum, what are the things that they actually hated, and make sure you're getting the really active feedback. Because if we're not getting feedback from the people who have gone through our classes or something, and we're teaching design, we're hypocrites. We're, we're, if we're not actually taking into account the feedback, if you're not doing any of that and you're not fulfilling the loop and just doing whatever curriculum you just know has been done, you're really doing yourself a disservice and the institution as well as the students. Welcome to Works in Process, the podcast that asks the hows and whys behind creative work. Take a ride with me, designer and educator George Garastegui. As I learned from my guests, there's no one way to being a creative, but endless possibilities fueled by passion, determination, and of course, process. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the second half of this two-part episode. If you haven't already listened to part one, episode 20, I invite you to go back and check out all the gems that Ratish had to offer. Let's not waste any time and get into part two of this episode. So as we're starting to think about the idea of diversity in typefaces, the ability of of how we advocate for how something um, so important starts to creep into their mind, their mindset, the way they need to think about, you know, approach, you're starting to come with a new idea, right? After volunteering for where all the black designers, there's now this new thing that's going to be starting in, you said February, um, when we talked earlier, it's called the useful school. How did the idea of the useful school come about? So after I did my talk at brand new in 2019 in Las Vegas, I talked to two individuals and both of them were really hype about the stuff that I was sharing and the kind of changes I was kind of advocating for within the space. And one of those folks was named Forrest, who at the time was the chief creative officer at Wolf Wallens. And he was there to do the keynote about the Uber rebrand. And like, I was, I was fanning out like crazy and to talk with him and have him give me a really big nod towards saying literally Ratish, you better do this. Like, I know things aren't like super clear at this point about like specifically what you want to do, but you, you better do, you better do this. Like you better help, help push some of these ideas that you're talking about. The other individual that was really hype was DeRoy, who's from Hyperact. And for full transparency, that was an agency that I've been trying to like work at or work with forever. So for him to be like also a speaker, and me able to finally speak with him and him giving me some love for what I was saying was, was awesome. And so as I continued in the conference, Forrest and I continued to stay in touch at the after parties in Las Vegas. And we really became really, really good friends. And I eventually came to this idea of, can I do the following? Can I as the main individual, create impact where there's more representation within the design industry. Okay. Yeah, probably. All right. Well, what does that look like? 
Well, I started putting, thinking through some ideas, but the one that really stuck with me is an online platform that taught Zoom classes and to help people who are not in the industry enter the industry and to help the folks that are currently in the industry to thrive, meaning get promoted, salary increase, open up their own studios, what have you. And where it really became interesting was that I wanted to be as accessible as possible. So I wanted the price to be literally pay what you can, which I had never seen like in some sort of like online school or anything like that. So it was pretty radical at the time. I'm a pretty big Radiohead fan and some of the, I'm a fan of some of the bands that have done pay what you can for albums, but have never really seen it done in the school space. And then of course I wanted to center people of color. That's what I was talking about. That's what a lot of folks were really giving me like a lot of nods. And so I said, okay, I'm going to do practical classes for people of color. They're going to be 10 week zoom classes and the price you tell us it's pay what you can. And if you can't pay, don't worry, somebody will cover the tab, whether it's another individual or it's a company. I mean, that's, that's amazing. I mean, like you said, I don't, I don't think I've seen a, a pay what you can model for education, right? There's always a strict, this thing costs X amount of dollars because we need to pay and, you know, make sure we monetize this. And what I'm hearing is the idea that the monetization of a concept is not the important part. It's the who needs to get this knowledge is really the important part. And we'll figure out how to monetize that, you know, with the support from other people to help fund this or just allow people to be totally transparent and honest with what they can afford. You know, one of the things I did notice, right, is this online platform that you're talking about focuses on product design as that is a very specific type of design, right? Not advertising, not graphic design. What was the decision-making process that took you to go to that specific route when you're looking to give more people access to the industry? So number one, it was a space where I had a lot of experience. I built my first app with a really awesome set of folks that I knew from college a long time ago. I knew I loved working with engineers and I learned, I knew I loved UI. And I've been kind of doing that through all my experiences through that as well. Number two, I knew that there was, based on the data, that there was a really poor level of representation from people of color within the digital product design space, specifically in the US. And I also knew that a lot of digital product designers can make a decent amount of money doing it. There's obvious value to digital product design. It's a core part of the product. And not to intellectualize it or get wax poetic or something, but I really wanted to have the products that we use every day be built by people who also use the products every day. And I wanted there to be more representation specifically within that space. And then the kind of cherry on top was once I started sharing the idea around with folks, they really loved it too. I knew that I had a lot of folks in my network that were down to come aboard and, and speak. And I also knew that there was people really cheering for me from the sidelines, even people who aren't digital product designers. So it was all of that kind of validation that helped me kind of be interested in doing this first. Could I have done a branding class? 
First, sure, I have just as much experience, you could argue, if not more, in that space. But I had to make a decision. And I said, you know what, I'm going to try digital product design for all of those reasons. And what's great is that branding has the process for me to choose digital product design. I could have easily done branding as well. And I know just as many folks in that space and have been getting just as much support. And so I'm happy to say that I'm very seriously considering doing other classes outside of digital product design, including branding and other related fields. Well, that's great. One of the things that sometimes you have to make a decision, <laughs> right? It allows us to be like, you know, sometimes the deadline is what makes us stop working, right? We just, we have to hand it in. We have to submit something, right? And making a decision I think is like that is, is a really important one because I think the world we live in today, everything is, is kind of in our hands. So product-based is, is kind of maybe the first place we understand design. And then these other things are what are ancillary parts of it that we learn about later. But the intimacy that we have with our phones or our tablets or, or our computers is, is really where design has its most impact. The other thing I really cared about was being really specific about the quote unquote product market fit. If you want to use that kind of like entrepreneurship lingo where I didn't want to drown in opportunity in a way. I didn't want to like just go so broad that people didn't really know where this kind of school fit in. So it was really important for me to see, let's say, okay, these are practical classes for people of color and they're for beginners and advanced folk. And I want specifically to focus on a sliver of the creative industry. I don't, at this point, I'm not ready to be able to say these are practical classes for people of color and they're 10 week creative classes on Zoom. I'm not ready to say that, cast that wide of a net. I want to be as specific as possible. And as I'm getting more and more interest and putting folks on the wait list for other classes, that helps me kind of manage the growth. And that's smart. I think trying to tackle too much would just make this not feel impactful. And I think that's one of the things you keep on saying is, right, like how in design can you create impact? And I think focusing on something that maybe other people haven't is where you find your niche. And doesn't mean that you haven't done all these other things, obviously, but this is the opportunity that presents itself and makes sure that you stand out. And I think the best part of it is the name and the idea that it's practical. It's about function. It's about making sure somebody either gets that interview, understands how to connect with people, you know, learns something directly, right? It's not about theory. You know, it's not about this, right? And sometimes you just need that, that course, that understanding that really just gives you that bridge, that connection to here. This is what can happen if you do these couple of steps, right? And sometimes practicality is, is something that we don't always offer, you know, as an educator, right? We're kind of like always wrapped up for me in the idea of there's practicality, but then there's also all these other, you know, soft things that are, that are, that are all work together, right? And I think there's the focus that you started to bring up is to make sure that this is a specific thing that I'm talking about, and this is what you're going to get out of. And I think when you look at the website and you, and you read kind of, you know, a little bit of the breakdown, there is clear goals in what you're going to achieve, which I think makes it very simple to understand why this is different and, and important for that group of people. So even though, you know, we're saying that, right. And I'm an educator, right. And we're talking about how we like to teach, right. So I caught something on your, on your write-up, right. Like, Hey, sure. We'll teach you this stuff in design school, but we'll also focus on the stuff that they don't teach you. So I know because there are many institutions where learning can't cover every nuance of the fast paced tech world. What do you think are some of the things that 
institutions and education really don't teach students? So there's a, there's a variety of things that are in the, the useful school curriculum that I think are way outside the wheelhouse of a, of a traditional design education. First of all, all of the classes are trying to center people of color as much as possible. So we talked about typefaces earlier. I want to challenge folks to be creating projects, like for example, an invoice that they can bill other clients that only uses typefaces from an identity that they identify with. And I think having that nuance of the, the process is very different from a traditional design school in that way. The second thing is we're going to be teaching a lot of the practical things, like how to do deceptively simple things, like answering an email from a recruiter, the difference between an external recruiter and an internal recruiter who oftentimes have very different incentives for wanting to reach out and hire you. I've been burned multiple times in the past where I had dealt with a lot of predatory recruiters well, where they'll ask me, how much money are you making right now? Or like some other insignificant things that actually make it worse for me when I actually continue on in the field, like when I continue on in the interview. And what ends up happening is a lot of these predatory recruiters, they end up asking a lot of folks like how much money they're making just for research. They're not really interested in hiring you or asking you questions that actually matter. They're interested in doing research for themselves. And once I realized that, I'm like, shit, I'm going to tell as many people as I can about this type of work that is happening in the industry that's predatory, but also racist and excluding POC and causing POC to, when they are interested in pursuing a creative field, to get really turned off. So the intersectionality, the responding to networking, like reach outs and all of that kind of stuff is all stuff that's traditionally not covered that we're able to cover with both the guest speakers that are at the top of their game. For example, Mitzi, who works at Spotify, Armin Vitt, who leads brand new, all these folks that can offer really practical info on how to get a job. So for example, Armin, who knows about literally every rebrand that's happened since he started, he can offer really practical knowledge of what are some people of color that you like to mention to the students who have like really killer portfolios, like who, how they branded themselves and who do you like from a branding point of view? Mitzi can walk through how she got her first job. Like at Spotify, that's like no feat, no simple feat. She's also an incredible black woman and like having students be able to see that they're successful black women in the tech space doing creative work is really, really powerful. So talking about having her talk about what is the case study that Spotify recruiters asked about? Like what were some of the questions that, that folks should prepare for? This kind of stuff isn't really shown in an easy to access way on YouTube or anywhere else. Like this kind of knowledge should be pay what you can. This type of thing should be available to as many folks as possible. Now, so we're starting with these kind of 20 person cohorts, but I would like to really expand this thing in a really big way. Wow. That definitely seems like something that just personal experience is what's going to bring the elevation to what the the people who are part of this, you know, first cohort, the access to the people that you have, but also the experiences that they're able to bring. It's like a perfect moment of, you know, because you've been able to work together with so many larger companies and, and keep these relationships, 
because you have this ability to just kind of like innately cold call and ask the question that some people are just too scared to ask, right? Because of fear of just not getting the right answer or fear of rejection. You know, you seem to just be like, well, if they say no, they say no, but I'm going to ask anyway. Those are definitely, I think, the benefits for something, especially like this, that the practical nature is really going to come from that, right? And I think, like you said, that's probably the thing that most educational institutions can't offer because they're just systematically in a different mindset. They're not really coming from working individuals in the field at the moment. It's a little bit you know, these people are a little bit distant. It's always good to have a little bit of both, like support from the people working in the industry currently, and then the traditional, a little bit more of just, you know, systems thinking that helps support some of those things. So considering, you know, obviously we're talking about access and opportunity, you know, what other ways do you think the industry and schools can support this kind of education outside of these traditional systems? Yeah, so, and before I answer that question directly, you're selling useful school. Great. Like I want to take the class. Like you're, if you want to sit in with, with when I'm pitching sponsors, like companies who want to sponsor and stuff, you're more than welcome. You're making this, sound, this thing sound great. Um, we're, we're hiring for you for sure. So I think there's a lot of things that traditional institutions can do. There's a really big need for us to rethink the entire curriculum that we've been teaching for 50 plus years. So Dory Tunstall is doing some great work at OCAD. There are, there's a lot of divestment and unlearning going on in, in some of the Southern California schools. There's a lot of interesting movements going on. However, based on what I, who I've spoken with, I've been on multiple video chats. I know a lot of folks in the future of design and higher education community. And these are folks that are administrators, faculty members, professors, all, all they run the gamut who want to really actively change what we're teaching and everything. And what, what I'm realizing is there's a really high number of folks that are very resistant to the change. This is everything from how we're teaching to what we're teaching to who we're centering and a lot of folks within institutions not being willing to move, much less move at the pace that we want to happen. There are lights at the end of the tunnel, like I said, Dory Tunstall and a lot of these other folks that are really pushing, but there really has to be major changes. So what I would recommend for some of the individuals that are working at these institutions, especially the people of color, useful schools here, like if you want to help out in any sort of way, whether monetarily or, or teach a class, um, that's obviously, uh, doors are definitely open. I would obviously say like advocate very strongly for unlearning and redoing a curriculum. Even if you've done the same curriculum for even one or two semesters, have honest conversations with the graduates of the class and ask them what are things that they wish were in the curriculum? What are the things that they actually hated? Don't do it when the students are actually students because there's obviously a conflict of interest. But when you're talking to the alumni, people who just graduated, be a steward, like reach out to them and not in, in a, in a non-spammy way and make sure you're getting the really active feedback. Because if we're not getting feedback from the people who have gone through our classes or something and we're teaching design, we're hypocrites. We're, we're, if we're not actually taking into account the feedback and everybody wants to do that, whether you're an artist who's creating stuff at MoMA or 
or creating practical classes, you want to be getting feedback from folks um, and getting a pulse. So if you're not doing any of that and you're not completely fulfilling the loop and just doing whatever curriculum you just know has been done, you're really doing yourself a disservice and the institution as well as the students. Agreed. I think there, there needs to be a lot of homework done for, for people to, to do that. And I think part of that is, is, is to act like educators are not the, the end all who know everything. There's always learning. I love that I, I learn from my students about some topics that are new that I have no idea about and they put me on, right? I think that is one of the best parts of being an educator is, is being accepting and willing to, to learn about this because as the fast paced tech always changes, we're always not going to be the ones who understand <laughs> the, the new things going on because it's really not created for us. It's created for that younger generation who is actively pushing it, working on it and, it, and, and they're doing iterations, right? Like, you know, when you hear, when you talk about Spotify, right? Don't they talk about like every two weeks, they're just doing updates. Things that you don't even notice are happening. They're doing it because they're, they're understanding users and adjusting for that, right? So I think for us in that fast paced world, we're not gonna work at the speed of every two weeks, but the idea that we do need that feedback and we do need to consider adjustments and, and nuances, and it's tough, <laughs> but I think that we gotta go back to the idea of why we're doing it in the first place is to make students prepared for what they're gonna be dealing with. If we do that, I think that puts us in a better position. Absolutely. And I, I would also say that radical change on the financial end has to has to be done on the institutional end as well. Of course, there's loans. Many of them are predatory. There are income share agreements where you, you don't pay a single dime in the beginning. And then after you graduate and get a job, you end up paying some of that money back. Those are also relatively unregulated and, and, and predatory. And so what I would like to see is more models that are alternative versions of, of payment. Um, that aren't so predatory because being able to do that is going to be a trap. It is going to give institutions similar application pools that useful school has where, because we have that financial barrier essentially eliminated and it's truly putting the power in the hands of the individuals um, with the, of course, the support from sponsors and, and individual contributors, we're able to attract heavily marginalized and deeply underrepresented populations to be part of useful school. And we're welcoming all ages as well as, as well as identities, which is really exciting. So what I'm seeing in the applicant base on useful school is, is a whole different world from the applicant pool and the public data that I'm seeing in a lot of the ACAD design schools. It is a, is a, it is a totally different ballgame, um, which is very exciting for useful school to be able to help some of these ACAD schools conquer some of these challenges. There, there is room for each of us to play, but there is so much value in us working together and, and helping solve a lot of these problems that have traditionally not been solved. And I think that's, that's part of the point. I think usually entities like this have been pitted against each other. It's either or. And I think it's, it's, it's great to consider this as an and you know, that that's going to give a more holistic approach to any of these people doing this is to understand history, to understand current, you know, trends and events. And I think working together like that is going to make one, just the students, you know, the people learning, you know, more effective at their jobs and actually enjoy it, right? And not feel like they went to school, spent all this money on something that's already outdated. <laughs> so as we're starting to, to end up, I have a couple final questions. 
As a designer, what are you still inspired by? I'm still really inspired by a lot of the apps and websites that are making making interesting waves in the in the impact space. So an example of an app that I've recently come to fall in love with is called Be My Eyes. And essentially what Be My Eyes is doing is connecting blind folk with people who can see to help the blind folk achieve some sort of task. So the way it works is that a blind person will sign up on the app. And then on the other side, a person who is able to see signs up on the app. And whenever a blind individual needs help putting up a picture or reading a menu or reading a recipe, they put a call out to all the folks in the Be My Eyes community of which there's hundreds of thousands. And the first person to respond gets to have a a call with that individual. Now, what's interesting about it is that there's way more people that are willing to help than people that need help currently. So what's happening is there's a lot of excitement for the person who can see to be ready at a moment's notice and like swipe the notification when there's a call to like really help out. And so what I really love about it is it's not a crazy technology. It's pairing individuals together that, that need it. And there's excitement from the people who are able-bodied to like help. So that's like one example. So there, and there's tons of them. Some are in Shark Tank, some are that I've seen like online, but like these types of companies are ones that people love working at because it has so much staying power. And like, they're really helping solve a problem. So I'm really inspired whenever I see products and apps like that, because it re-energizes the people that I'm working with and gives maybe engineers or designers a new perspective on something that they might have gotten stuck on in the past. They, they get reinvigorated and they, and they really love solving these types of problems. And you can make money doing this type of stuff. You can make money running these types of companies. So it's really important for you as in the audience who's listening to not only come up with an idea, but come up with the business plan, come up with the business model that you think could actually support it rather than only relying on angel investors or VC money to like give you money. Try to start making money immediately rather than waiting for millions and millions of folks to to get on the app. Like that's one thing that I get really excited about is apps and startups that are able to monetize and make impact and not rely on external funding to grow in a big way. Now, I'm not saying useful school is going to turn away investors or anything like that. So if you're listening, I'm super open to having that conversation. But I think there's really something really interesting about having a person of color create something with very, very little monetary resources, put it out into the world and just check out the reaction. And that's essentially what I did. I announced useful school in December and because of the traction on LinkedIn and and on Instagram and what the the emails that I've been getting, that really energized me. And it wasn't a lot of monetary contribution that I had to make in the initial in the initial phase. So that's what gets me really excited. Low effort, high impact. Now, useful school is very high effort at this point. But starting out, like the the nugget and and starting to put the idea together, low low effort. And I, and I think that that's just kind of like, you know, how we need to think about it. So, you know, you do a lot of different things. You're, you're a founder of a company, you're volunteers, you're, you're, 
sitting down watching Mark Cuban and Shark Tank and, and, and looking at who to cold call next. But let me ask you, what part of any of these things, what part of that process do you still struggle with? I would say the part of the process that I get struggle with is not the creative one in terms of like building something or optimizing something. It's actually getting paid. So I've been burned multiple times in the past of doing the work above and beyond what was agreed to and not getting paid. And I've had to come up with creative ways to get paid. So an example of that is half money up front, half money when I'm halfway done. And oftentimes I will beat the deadline that they, that they put out for me. So if it's due, if it's due in a couple of weeks, I'll do it in one week. And that way they get really even more excited and saying, wow, I can't believe we just saved a week. Yeah. I'll pay you the rest of the money or creating a, a fake email. That's like accounting at whatever. And it's run by me, but I'll just reach out to the person and say like, Hey, like following up here on the accountant for Ratish, like, can you please remit payment? That kind of thing. <laughs> so there's like interesting ways that like folks can really be empowered to like get their money and get paid. And so I really obviously always think about creative ways to like get paid, but I, I do not do any more projects where I don't get paid at least half upfront because the incentives are aligned. I don't get ghosted by the client or, or wh- whoever it might be, or the, the project doesn't take like way longer and it's not of no, no fault of my own or like any of the things that like occur. Like if you're not willing to pay me before I start the work, even half or a third or something, I know something's up. Like you're either not trusting of me or like you don't believe in the work output or I haven't done a good enough job like selling myself or I haven't good, done a good enough job proving the value or the speed or what you're going to get. So it's a really big signal to me that like, we need to jump on another call. So let's just talk straight up. And like having all of that stuff be within the lane of, within the lane of money has really forced me to not only level up my game creatively, but also selling myself, doing better reach out emails, following up, and making it really easy for a, a creative to pay. So I would, or a, a client to pay. So I would, I would say that, yeah, the, the getting paid is something that I could always be working on. Ever since I like did some of these things that I had mentioned, I haven't had a single client be, have, have an issue uh, paying or anything like that. And that's been, I've been really fortunate, but that the payment stuff is something I definitely struggled with a little bit in the past. Yeah. And thank you for bringing that up. Cause I think that's one of those things that we really don't talk about. The idea of, you know, it's doing the work, it's doing it on time, it's it's your reputation and things like that, but then it's getting paid, right? We, we do this for, you know, some type of, of exchange and usually it's money, <laughs> you know? So thank you for just, you know, sharing with the fact that that's always something that is a struggle. And even the people who are doing, you know, big time branding projects, things like that, it still happens. So I think those little nuggets of, of creating a fake account as an accountant is, is great. I'm going to share that with some of my, my portfolio students. The other thing I want to kind of talk about is if, if you're on the client side, you want to make sure that you, if you're not in control of the budget, like I've been in the situation before, like if you're not in control of the budget and somebody else is, you need to make sure that you're not the middle person where you're just, you're, you're neither of the folks, the person who's paying and the person who did the work is like, you don't, you do not want to keep them separate and be the middle person. Cause then it reflects on you. You want to just connect them directly 
and let them handle that stuff because you do not want to re be associated with anything related to the finances. You want to be associated with the actual creativity and the output of work. So that's another thing I would love for up and comers to, to really make sure that they're, they're dealing with. And like, they know that there's very, very clear payment terms for the person on the client side, like that you're working with and very clear payment terms for the agency. And you immediately, when the project starts, put them together and get out of that conversation because you do not want to be associated with it. You know, that, that then you're just be caught in the middle and, and always, you know, never really having control of any of that. So no need for that. So finally, what advice would you give a younger Ratish entering the industry today? I would say, and this is, this is difficult, but I would say two things. Number one, there's not going to be a lot of people that necessarily look like you, but like you can definitely be part of that change. And that could actually affect your mental health. So I've had mental health issues. You should be aware, Ratish, like in five years, like you're going to have these, not, not everything's going to be perfect and easy as like college or internships or something. You're going to struggle with physically or mentally and you need to have that support. You need to make sure you have build a support system around you, whether it's mentors, the institutions that you're part of anything that's number one. And number two, I would say that you want to work backwards. Like what do you want to be able to say in like five years that you accomplished that would, that would make you really happy and just work backwards from there. So for example, like if you're, if you'd love to work at a mission driven startup or for uh, like an online school or something, do what you can today to like plan out what, what that, what those things you're going to build in order to like make that happen. And if that requires you going to the company or the organization or the institution and say like, Hey, I'm not asking for a job right now, but in five years, I would love to work with you. I know it's a really weird thing to say, but I would, I'm reaching out now. And I just want to know what are some of the steps you recommend I do to like get the opportunity to work with you? And it's a very heavy question. And it's a question that really puts a lot of onus on the person answering it. So I don't like recommend just going out to everybody, like thousands of people and just answering this because it would be mayhem. But if there's a couple people that you really, really want to work for or with, reach out to them and say like, hey, like I'm interested in potentially working with you. Again, I'm not looking for a job right now because oftentimes people, the first time they they reach out to somebody, they're like, hey, do you have a job? Or like, can I work for you? And sure, I understand like that, that mentality, but you should also be realistic of like, Hey, if you want to eventually be a senior product designer somewhere and right now you're like a junior product designer, it's going to take a little bit of time to like get to that point. So why not like make the connection, ask them for like some checklist or even better say like, Hey, via email, don't even require like a chat. A lot oftentimes people like ask like, Hey, can you hop on a phone call? And like the person has no idea what that phone call is about just say via email or via LinkedIn message, be like, Hey, these are a couple of steps that I'm thinking about, like creating a new logo for myself that like feels like really optimistic to match my brand, create like something on Webflow, like create a portfolio on Webflow um, that has a couple of my key projects with a case study. And then ask the the person who might be helping you like, Hey, do you think that's enough? And if not, they're probably going to like give you a couple extra tips or give you at least some resource to like look at. And then the best thing about it is once you're done finishing all that stuff, you go back to that person and say like, Hey, I did it all. Now what type of thing? And, and that person gave you the signal and nod to be like, Hey, if you do these couple of things, you're going to be closer to working with me. 
And so then it's like, oh shit, now the, now this potential person could have given you enough advice, or they're going to tell you, Hey, I actually want you to do now these next couple of things. And so what ends up happening is you now have a potential mentor and it's relatively low effort on like both sides. You're, you're not doing like these video chats. You're not doing like these onerous things. You're like very clear on what you have to do. You're obviously doing most of the work. And eventually that person might become a sponsor for you. They might say like, Hey, Spotify or Nike or Apple or whatever. I've been working with this person, uh, just like casually mentoring them for the last like six months, six weeks, year, whatever. And they've actually done a lot of stuff that I recommend they do. And so I know that they can get the work done and they can get it on time. They might be a little um, wet behind the ears or or for the lack of better term, but I think we should give this person another shot, or I think we should give this person a shot. So that's like something I would love to see happen more often on to change the relationship and change the dialogue between the person who wants to get from point A to point B and the person who's already at B and wants to help that person who, who's starting at A. So those are the couple of things that I would say to Ratish. Nice. It, it, it seems like, once again, practical advice for something and putting a lot of the effort on the person who's wanting to gain the information and making it easier for that, like you said, that person who's in point B to oblige, where it's a, if it's low stakes, it's a lot easier. And I think one of the things I want to take away was this cold call emails with a question, giving that idea that it needs to be answered, either negative or positive, but it needs to be answered, right? Which I think sometimes if we just open end and don't really give the other person a job to do, <laughs> they'll just be like, okay, cool. It was a good email I got. And they don't know how to respond. Giving them a clear question gives us the opportunity to actually create a one-on-one. Well, I have, they asked me a question. I have to answer. Even if I don't want to be part of this, at least I'm going to give them that, that satisfaction. And so lastly, can you tell our listeners where they can find out more about useful school, you and ways that they can support? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find useful school on the interwebs. So we've got www.usefulschool.com, super easy. And Instagram is usefulschool.com, D-O-T-C-O-M. And if they want to reach out to me directly, they can just hit me up via email, Ritesh, R-I-T-E-S-H, at usefulschool.com. And if any individuals want to do the following things, I super welcome it. So if there's any potential students that, are, that want to be part of Useful School and take any of our classes, please don't hesitate to apply and let me know like what kind of classes you're interested in. Number two, if you're fortunate enough to have some, some money to contribute, consider going to our give page and, and contributing. Um, you're going to be able to sponsor the folks who aren't able to pay and you're going to be really making a huge difference in somebody's life. And then number three, if you're part of a company that is super designer friendly and very inclusive, and wants to become even more inclusive, then please consider sponsoring. Email me at ratish at usefulschool.com for some really interesting partnership ideas that I have that a lot of other companies have been really interested in. And I'm, I'm really glad to say that you'd be joining the ranks of Mother Design, Standards Manual, Order, and a lot of others that are going to be posted and publicized very, very soon. So you'd be, you're going to be in really great company. Outside of that, if you have anything, any advice for me, feel free to hit me up in the DMs, either personally on LinkedIn, on Instagram, or email me. Perfect. I'll put all that info in the show notes so people can reach out to you. 
you know, when this comes up, you know, I, I am so glad to get you on the podcast because this is something that I focus on as well, you know, acts as an opportunity for emerging designers. I was so intrigued by your concept and of course it's practical nature. We need to meet creatives where they are and offer them opportunities to grow and expand. And I see useful as an outlet to have that happen. You know, I hope that anyone who looks to dive into product design, go check out the opportunity. It's a beautiful website, but it's also an impactful one to really get you to understand and delve into this world. And I know there's gonna be future cohorts. Um, once again, Ratish, thanks again for this chat. And I look forward to hearing about all the great outcomes of what's to come from Useful. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. For any mentions and websites from the episode, take a look at the show notes or visit us at our website, wip.show. Thanks for listening. See you next time.